G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. That's Job's issue. He says, don't give me a lecture from the past. God is all-powerful. Why can't He just do the good in me without the bad? Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill. Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. And in this episode, we're going to continue our look at spiritual winter, how we can persevere through it to find ourselves back in a season of spring or summer, feeling close to God as we once were, or perhaps close for the very first time. If you can relate to this challenge, I hope you can find some very real and practical advice here as we look at the book of Job, chapter 2, verse 11. Let's get into it now on Today with Jeff Bynes. Turn over to Job, chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, One of my favorite people is my basketball coach, Eddie Carver. And I remember I told you the story of how his way of motivating me was to bring me out and every game, he would say, Vines, you stink. I mean, this guy's 6'9", about 270 pounds, and he'd take his bony little finger and poke it right into my sternum. By the way, that hurts. Have you ever had that done? It hurts. Vines, you stink. And that's his way of motivating. He really was a great coach. And 15 points or 15 rebounds, 10 points, I'll, I'll take nothing less. And if, if by halftime, if I wasn't on par, he'd take me by the arm and pull me out and say, look down there into the north or south end of the basketball uh, court. And there would be these uh, children handicapped that had been rolled in in wheelchairs. And he'd always look down there and he'd say, look at that. Let me tell you, I guarantee those kids have more heart and more passion and more intestinal fortitude than you ever thought about having. And that's supposed to kind of make me feel guilty. And it, it worked every time. And uh, I thought, oh no, you know, when I, when I was playing badly, I knew, it, oh no, not, not that again. But every time he'd take me out and try to motivate me that way. What I didn't get to talk about on Christmas Eve, though, was the fact that Coach Eddie Carver was a strong and is a strong believer and Christ follower. And then he also motivated me in another arena of my life. And that arena was to motivate me in my faith. When some of the other basketball players, most of whom were not Christians, would ridicule or make fun of me. By the way, let me just say something, you young people. The decisions you make now ultimately will be the same decisions you're making when you get older. If you stand up for Christ now, chances are you'll do it later. If you don't now, chances are you won't later. And I learned that. But they would ridicule me, make fun of me, kind of belittle me. And Coach Eddie Carver would come by and he'd always whisper the same thing in my ear. He'd say, Remember, Vines, nothing shakes us. Nothing shakes us. They're watching you, Jeff. And I remember we were playing our, our tribal, Hampton, the Bulldogs. 
we went up there to play. I wasn't having a, a very good game, and coach took me out at a crucial time, and I was pretty upset, so I said something under my voice, which I know you, you, uh, you, it was horrible, okay? But preachers do that too when they're growing up. I wasn't a preacher yet, so it doesn't count. And so <laughs> Coach Carver heard me say that, and he took me down the end of the bench, and he gave me a verbal lashing that I will never forget. And he kept saying, you're different, Vines. They're watching you. You gotta watch how you respond. You gotta watch how you react. You're living for a higher reason. They're always watching you. Now, it was that same Coach Carver two days before my senior year. Now, you gotta understand, I come from a small town. Not much happens other than high school basketball games. And I was hoping to get out of this small town by way of a basketball scholarship. Now, I was under no illusions. I wasn't going to be playing for Duke or USC or anybody like that. But I had smaller colleges interested. One was University of the South in Sewanee, Tennessee, a high academic school. And I thought, man, this is my ticket out of here. Two days before my senior year, when all the scouts were going to be there, before the first basketball game was played, two days in practice, I tore all the ligaments in my left ankle. And I was on the sideline, and I was thinking about my life is over. It was Coach Eddie Carver that came over and put his arm around me, and this is what he said. He said, Jeff, God has a plan in all this. And let me tell you what I said. I said, I don't give a rip about God and his plan. I just want my ankle to be better. Because all I could see was being seated on the end of the bench for six to eight weeks. That's what the doctor said. That's how long it was going to take to heal. All I could see would be the hours and hours of the hot cold treatment. Questions by the press. When is Jeff going to return? Now, you got to, got to remember, small town, there's no other news. When is Jeff coming back? And folks, all this is just a game. What about people this year that are facing a terminal illness? What about the marriages that are on the rocks. What about people who are concerned about their children, don't know what's going to happen to them in the coming year? They've fallen off a cliff. They've fallen by the wayside. Whatever. This is just a game. And when I was given the advice, it's all part of God's plan. If I couldn't handle it as a basketball player, how much more difficult do you think that it is when somebody goes into spiritual winter and their life is falling apart and God is nowhere to be found like Job? He is theos abscontinus, the God who hides himself. The contrast is there too. They used to feel close to God, remember? They used to read the word, open it up, and God spoke directly to them. They used to feel like God was walking with them every step of the way. And now they're in the spiritual winter and God is absent. The question still remains, how are we gonna make it through spiritual winter? How can we possibly get on the other side? How can we endure and actually win when winter comes, when life is falling apart, when God is nowhere to be found? Now, here's the patent answer that you usually get, and it's the one I got when I was growing up. We'll make it through. We will win because we know that something good will come out of it, right? And there is truth in that. I realize that, and I'm not belittling that for a moment, but I want to take you back to the story of Job and show you how that didn't work for him. He was frustrated at that answer. Because as we see how this whole thing played out in the beginning stages that we haven't dealt with, we're going to see how Job was able to endure, and that's going to tell you and remind you that God ordained something from the very foundations of the world to make sure that when spiritual winter came and he was doing his work in you, that you would not only be able to survive, but you would be able to thrive. So here we go. Job's friends hear about his predicament. Job chapter 2, verse 11. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite, heard all about the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. 
Now, when Job's three friends get there, at first they're silent. In their silence, they're brilliant. But then they start to speak, and that's when they get in trouble. Bildad, I'm going to deal with him first. There are three of them. He's the second one that speaks. I want to get to Eliphaz in a second. But Bildad, after listening to Job say, where is God in my trouble, says this to his friend. Now, remember, he says this to a guy who's out on the ash heap. He's probably got leprosy. He's taking a piece of clay and scraping his skin to get some relief. And this is what his friend says to him. He says this to Job, who's suffering and lost everything. Your words, Job, are a blustering wind. In other words, you're a windbag. Ask for the former generations and find out what their fathers learned. For we were born only yesterday and know nothing. Will they not bring forth words of understanding? Bildad, that's his way of saying, look at what happened in other people's lives when they experienced pain and look at the good that came out of it. It's like saying, Job, consider Moses, 40 years in the wilderness, yet he became a good leader during that time. Joshua, he was surrounded by trouble on every side, and yet he was able to witness the miracle of God as the walls of Jericho fell. Look at the Israelites before they crossed the Red Sea, years of slavery and hardship, and yet they witnessed a miracle. They all say the same thing. Bildad starts the journey. He says, Job, think about all the good that's going to come out of the spiritual winter. Now, let's be honest. It's good in theory, isn't it? But there's a problem. Is God not omnipotent? Is God not all-powerful? Can he not do anything? Then if God is omnipotent, all-powerful, and can do anything, can't he bring about the good in my life without the bad? That's Job's issue. He says, don't give me a lecture from the past. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. Why can't he just do the good in me without the bad? Now, you think he's alone in that little journey? You ever heard of a man named Jesus? Didn't he do the same thing in Luke chapter 22? Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. What's Jesus saying? God, I really do want to redeem the world. Good plan. But have you exhausted all the other options? Is Is there possible another way we can do this without me having to go to the cross? That's what he's saying in this humanity. Because he's, he's been through the streets of Jerusalem thousands of times. He's seen thousands of crucifixions. He knows it ain't no picnic. He knows it's going to be horrendous. So he says, is there another way? The Bible says in verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. So now he's stronger. So what does he do? Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. He used that strength to pray more earnestly. God, is there another way? I want redemption, but is there another possible plan? The Bible says his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground, which I mentioned before is an actual medical condition, hematidrosis, which is the effusion of blood into the perspiration. It only happens under extreme situations of anxiety. But isn't it human? Isn't it natural for us to want to, God to achieve the good in us without having to experience the bad? Job says in chapter 9, verse 33, it's beautiful. If only there were someone to arbitrate between God and me. Job says, I don't need a spiritual lecture about past heroes. I just need somebody to plead my case in the present. Someone to represent me before God. Somebody to storm the throne room of God and say, whoa, now just wait a minute. I'm representing Job. Isn't there another way we can bring about this good in Job's life without all this spiritual winter? Job said, if I had somebody doing that on my behalf, that would give me strength. To know somebody's praying for me and with me and pleading my case. As a matter of fact, this Hebrew word has the idea that's equivalent to the English concept of picketing. 
You know, you know what Job's saying? I want four or five of my friends to go up to heaven in the throne room of God and carry a sign that says, do it another way. Do it another way. Do it another way. And pick at the throne room of God and say, no, this ain't right. Another way. Stop the turmoil. Job says, if I've got somebody like that, I know that I'll be able to handle my pain. Now, Bildad gives his comment. Then here comes Eliphaz. He's the oldest, therefore the kindest. And he actually spoke first. Now remember, Job lost everything. Health, his wealth, livestock, everything he owned. And then remember, 10 of his children are over having a party. A big wind comes through, the roof collapses. They kill his children. Now, how would you react having been through what I just described and one of your friends comes and says this to you? Job chapter 14, Eliphaz says, Job, a spirit glided past my face. And the hair on my body stood on end. It stopped, but I could not tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes, and I heard a hushed voice. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? Do you see that? A spirit glided past my face, and the hair on my body stood on end. Now, the only way I can describe what's happening here is to give you a little illustration just quickly. When I was in seminary, we would take these long tests during the week of finals. I mean, we'd be given page after page and you had to write everything out, no laptops allowed. And so the professor would give you an essay question and then you'd have to write the answer. You would write for three and a half hours answering five of the 10 questions given you could choose. One of our friends had not studied a lot and we knew it. We knew he was in trouble before we got in there. So he had to choose some of the questions, so he did. One particular question, he did what in junior high school we called euphemistically padding. It's when you have a question and you write everything that's remotely related to the topic, everything, hoping that sooner or later, why are there so many people laughing? You did that too? That sooner or later you hope that you'll begin to hit toward the truth, right? So you write and you write and you write. When he got his paper back, our professor of theology wrote what I believe to be the funniest one-liner of all time. This is what he wrote in red ink on the front of that paper. This is not right. This is not even wrong. <laughs> this is not right. This is not even wrong. You see, when somebody makes a statement, there are two possible statements to correspond. One, you can say that is right, or two, you can say that is wrong. But if what you have said is nonsensical, that it makes no sense at all, then it doesn't even rise to the dignity of error. <laughs> and what our professor was basically saying is this, this is not right, this is not even wrong. Every time I think of that test, I think of Eliphaz's words. A spirit glided past my face, the hair on my body stood on end, it stopped, I didn't know what it was, and it spoke. How could I test that? It's impossible. A spirit glides past, hair stands up. That's not right, Job would say to Eliphaz. That's not even wrong. In effect, it's Eliphaz's attempt to be mystical. Have you ever had a friend do that when you're in pain? Come on. I saw a vision this morning of your life. Well, hey, why didn't God give it to me? Why did he give it to you? And then I got to translate. Or somebody comes along and they say, I've had a word from the Lord for you. Now, I'm not saying that God can't speak through our friends. I, I know that he does. But you know how many times I've been in a hospital room or a waiting room and here comes the, I'm sorry, just aggressive, super aggressive Christian that wants to solve all the problems and all of a sudden they want to say something. All the other words that people have spoken have not comforted, so they need to add a little authoritative boost. So they begin what they say with these words, and the Lord said. 
Job is so upset with his friend Eliphaz. Here's what he says in Job 6, verse 1 and 4. If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. A despairing man should have the devotion of his friends. Eliphaz is saying, is, 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 has spoken his, his, what he believes his truth. And then Job responds by saying this, Eliphaz, you're underestimating the level of my pain. Don't assume that some theological or philosophical or mystical argument can soothe the pain that I'm in. My problems are much more complex than either you or I can understand. Besides, all I really need is a friend. All I really need is for you to stick by me even when it appears that I'm losing my mind. And then Job screams out to God in Job 6, 24, teach me and I will hold my peace and cause me to understand. Job says, my friends aren't helping God. You're going to have to come down. You're going to have to explain the situation to me. But in reality, Job's friends are helping. As a matter of fact, they're going to become famous. We're going to get to that in a moment, but there's a third friend. Now, folks, I'm just going to be honest. I've looked at this and looked at this for years now. I just don't understand Zophar's words. So I want you to know that. I want you to know I'm going to take a shot at it, but that's all it is, a guess. Zophar is the youngest, therefore the rudest. <laughs> Sorry. He comes to Job. And in Job chapter 11, verse 12, this is what he says to a guy in this suffering. He says, it is more likely that a donkey will give birth to a human being than for you to listen to wisdom. <laughs> Folks, that's not friendly devotion. <laughs> you know, when you're young and you haven't experienced pain and depth, you have a tendency to say things like that, don't you? Job, it's more likely than my, my old donkey down here to give birth to a human for, than for you to listen to what we're trying to say to help you. Now, here's, let me take a shot at this. Here's what I think is happening. When I was in New Zealand, I met this lady by the name of Ali Mooney, who I've described to you before, helped Robin and me understand love languages and how they relate in a relationship. Man, I think that's one of the best things ever. I, th I think it helped send my marriage into another realm, a good realm, and understand temperament, how we're all wired and how God puts us together and how we respond to each other. And when I took the little test, I remember her shaking her head and she just kept, and I said, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? And she just kept laughing. She goes, man, Jeff, most people are sanguine with other tendencies. But from everything I see on this paper, you are 100% sanguine. You're just 100% sanguine. Now, that's a, one of the descriptive words to describe your temperament. So I said, well, what is, what's a sanguine? She goes, well, let me, let me describe it to you with this example. And this, this is the example she gave me. She said, this would be a sanguine without the Holy Spirit. A sanguine goes into a party and finds somebody that he thinks will listen. And they go up to them and speak for 20 minutes. And for 20 minutes, all they do is talk about themselves. And after that 20 minutes, they look to the other person and say, okay, enough about me. What do you think about me? <laughs> she said, that's a sanguine, but that's without the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I believe Zophar has done. He has made, made Job's pain about him because Job's pain is now inconveniencing him. You ever had a friend that was in pain, but you just didn't have time for them? You, had, you just wanted to go on with your life and not worry about what's bothering them? That's what happens to Zophar. Zophar says, you know what? I can't be bothered with you, Job. I got issues of my own, even though they're not large. I don't want to talk to you right now, so I'm just going to say this to you. You're not going to listen to wisdom anyway, so I'm not even going to try. And Job's response is classic. 
Job ultimately says this, you know what, boys, before you came, I had a lot of problems. Now I have another one. When you die, wisdom's going to die with you. <laughs> you hear what he says? Man, all the wisdom in the world is gathered up in you three. When you guys die, there'll be no wisdom left. <laughs> now listen, I've been hard on Job's friends, but I've done that because I think it's important to know the role that we're going to play in each other's lives during spiritual winter. You won't make it alone. You've got to be careful about mystical advice that simplifies people's pain. You've got to be careful of giving somebody a lecture, even though it's a spiritual lecture, when they're under incredible hardship. And you've got to be careful that their pain doesn't become all about you and your inconvenience. Because in reality, Job's friends were brilliant. They helped Job make it through the deepest, darkest, coldest winter of his life. You say, in heaven's name, Jeff, how? From where I'm sitting, they blew it. No, they didn't. Back to Job 2, verse 11. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite, and Dadgum the Termite, heard all about the troubles. I've always wanted to throw that in. That was funny. Come on, man. <laughs> Liven up a little bit. Goodness. Okay, here we go. When they heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. This Hebrew word sympathize is the Hebrew word nud. Do you know what it means? Now, mothers are going to have an easy time grasping this. Fathers, a little bit more difficulty. The Hebrew word translated sympathize means to rock and nod. When my little boy Delaney, when we lived in New Zealand, he was about nine years old and he started having internal bleeding and we thought he had leukemia, or at least I did. And I was panicking about our next doctor's appointment. I remember going down to my office trying to do work and instead I moved over to a chair and began to pray and I was rocking and nodding. Please God, please God, please anything but this. Please heal my son. Please, not this. You ever done that, moms, for a child? Rock and nod. Rock and nod. When they get there to see Job, they are brilliant in their silence. All they do, the Bible says, for seven days is rock and nod. Job 2.12, when they saw him from the distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. They knew they just couldn't go to Job and say, don't worry, Job, it'll all be okay. No. For the first seven days, they were speechless. And verse 12 and 13 says that they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Seven days and seven nights, they didn't say a word. They just sat with him. Wow. And their silence was brilliant. And they became famous. These three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, became famous because still to this day, part of Jewish life and Jewish culture, to this day, Jews will speak of sitting Shiva, which means sitting sevens. And tradition began that when someone was in mourning, you would come and sit for seven days and the first seven days, you'd say nothing. You would just rock and nod, rock and nod. Seven days of rocking and nodding. 
seven days of listening or mourning with those who need to share their pain. Next time, we'll continue this message about spiritual winter and about Job and his friends who helped him through his pain. From chapter 2, verse 11. That's what friends do. They keep you balanced. Listen, that's what friends do. They're there for you, allowing you to voice your struggle and your hurt and your heartache, but they're also reminding you to keep clean to God because ultimately that is where you're going to find the answers. With Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.